Okay, we're ready to begin. We thank God for another opportunity to share in our Bible study together with you and our listening audience. And uh, we look forward to a wonderful time in the scriptures as we learn and grow and develop in our relationship with the Lord. God bless. Amen. Well, let's begin with prayer. Let's open up with prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful day your bountiful blessings in our lives. We bless, worship, and praise you today. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done in our lives, for where you brought us from to where we are today. And we particularly lift up those, O oh God, who may be burden-hearted, those who may, going through, may be going through their trials and tribulations and tests, especially those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. We pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit would comfort and give peace, give strength to those who stand in need of it today. For, Father, we know that you put nothing more on us than what we can bear, but you always provide a way for us to bear it, that we may continue to glorify you in all of our circumstances. We bless you and we praise you. We pray for those this morning who stand in need for healing, in their body, O oh God, healing in their mind, healing in their soul. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the God who healeth us of all of our sicknesses and diseases. We speak life today to those who stand in need, O oh God, of prayer. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to minister to each and every one of us and continue to give us the strength and the grace that we need. Now, Father, we thank you for our study today, and we ask these blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God amen. bless. Amen. Any questions before we begin? Um, yeah, questions? I'm good. I'm good. All righty. Well, we'll pick up where we left off last week. Amen. We've been talking about the evidences of salvation and uh, how important it is to know that we know that we know that we're truly born again and on our way to heaven. And so in our last week Bible study, we talked about the definition of sin and the different types of sins and categories of sins according to the Bible. And so let me just briefly mention them again for you and for our listening audience. Number one, we talked about secret or hidden sins. We talked about outward faults. We talked about presumptuous sins. We talked about the great transgression. We talked about overt sins, outward sins. We talked about covert sins, inward sins. We talked about besetting sins. We talked about weights which are not necessarily a sin. It could be something good, but whatever weighs us down and impedes our spiritual growth and progress in the Lord. And we talked about transgressions, and we talked about, lastly, iniquities. Any questions about any of these types of sins? Amen. 
No, no, we're good. Okay, let's go a little bit deeper and let's get a little bit more specific um, about these different types of sins. And the reason why this lesson today is so very important is because heaven is a place where I believe that we all want to go one day. But the Bible speaks of not only heaven, but the same Bible that we read and study also speaks of hell. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 14, Therefore hell has enlarged itself. The Bible says in Matthew 25, verse 41, that hell was created, created for the devil and his angels. So God simply teaches us that hell is not a place that he created or prepared for mankind. And if anyone chooses to go to hell, um, hell is a terrible place. The Bible teaches us that <clears throat> hell has enlarged itself and that with all of the people that are dying today, God forbid, because of the pandemic, you would think that we would hear more messages preached in churches, virtually, on air, by pastors. So the question is, when was the last time you heard a message or a pastor preach on the subject of hell? In a long time. Not, Do you, surely not recently. Very so rarely. With all, so with all of the deaths that people are experiencing, God forbid, uh, we don't want anyone to miss heaven. But, you know, I've been attending quite a few funerals, and uh, we love to sing about heaven. We love to talk about heaven. We love to talk about going to heaven. But we don't hear too much about the subject of hell. And the same Bible that teaches us about heaven also teaches us about hell. There are over a hundred scriptures in the Bible that talks about hell. And very often do you really hear a message preaching and warning people about hell and what's in hell and not to go. And so um, what I like to do this morning is to specifically name the sins that will cause any person to miss heaven and go to hell. And so we want to specifically look at those particular scriptures. So we'll begin with um, the Ten Commandments. These are very, very familiar with most people. The Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal and kill and murder. Bearing false witness, having other gods before you, no other gods before you. These are the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Okay. Amen. Are you all there? God bless. And this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6.
and we're going to look at uh okay thank you we're going to begin with the ninth verse and this is paul speaking to the church corinth and he says know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of god be not deceived neither fornicators idolaters adulterers infeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. So we see the different steps of grace. Number one, we are justified. That's the first work of grace. Number two, we are sanctified by God. That's the second work of grace. And we are washed by the hearing of the word and the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary's cross. The Bible says in the name of the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit, of our God. So the Apostle Paul specifically names these sins, and um, I like to read them from the Amplified Translation of the Bible, from the Amplified Translation of the Bible, to give us a little bit better clarity on these different types of sins that will prevent any person who practices them from entering into the kingdom of heaven. He speaks of all those who are unrighteous, all those who are deceived, all those who practice sexual immorality. Paul calls them fornicators. That can be sex before marriage or any kind of sexual immorality. He mentions idolaters. <clears throat> We know an idolater is a person who puts whatever before God. That becomes their idol. And God said he would have no other gods before him. Paul mentions adulterers. He mentions those who are perverse. He mentions the effeminate or the homosexuals. He mentions the abusers of themselves with mankind. And so an abuser would be anyone who would abuse themselves or others. That will cause a person not to inherit the kingdom of God. Any harmful practice that destroys the body that God created in his image and likeness can be an abuser of mankind. So anything that a person practices, whether they smoke, drink, eat, whatever, if it destroys God's body, the temple of God that God lives in, God himself shall destroy. He also talks about thieves here in this particular uh, chapter. Greedy persons, drunkards, revilers, those that use words as weapons to abuse and abuse, to insult, to humiliate, to intimidate or slander others. Swindlers, 
Paul says all of these individuals who practice these sins will not have any share in the kingdom of God. Any questions about any of these types of sins that uh, the Bible specifically mentions? So the question is today, if you or I know that there's someone practicing one of these particular sins, and we know that if they do that, they're not going to inherit heaven, sadly they will inherit hell, is it our responsibility to make them aware of it, or should we just say nothing? What do you think? Um... To some, well, I would say it's our responsibility, but um, we should let them know that, you know, what God's is saying in regards to what they're doing. Um, mm. If they're willing to listen to us, we have to be mindful of that, too. If they're um, willing to listen to us, that's right, Dorothy. Right. Because right. they um, might feel like we're picking on them. And not only that, but um, in this day and age, you never know what kind of uh, repercussions you're going to get or what kind of uh, <laughs> a reaction. Right. A reaction that you may not want. <laughs> I don't know. You know yeah. uh, so are you saying, Ron, that the risk is too great yes. to lovingly confront them with speaking the truth in love? It would be too great of a risk to put yourself in that position, even though you know that they might be deceived and might not know and might feel it's all right or think it's okay. Um, there again, it depends on who the person is, whether I guess if you know the person well enough, then you can approach, but anybody else, I, I wouldn't. No. So write this statement down, write this statement <laughs> down. Discipline, discipline without relationship breeds rebellion. Discipline without relationship breeds rebellion. Really? So relationship is important when we talk about sensitive issues and topics like this. Right. Because people are easily offended mm -hmm. and easily to get defensive and easily think that we're throwing off or we're better than them. But it's really not about any of that. It's about our love for them and the willingness to warn others so that they will not suffer the consequences of their decisions. Right. So the question is, would we want someone to warn us if we were doing something that we didn't know was wrong or we were misinformed, we, we want someone to love us enough to inform us, to confront us in love, to let us know, or would you just prefer them not say anything? Um, I, would, I wouldn't mind, I guess. Um, there it is again, it depends on, you know, the I, I, relationship I, that you have with the yeah. person. And if they're, well, I don't know. Well, if they see that you're doing wrong, then, yeah, point it, you know, they could point it out. 
but then again, it depends on the relationship. I don't know. I, I wouldn't, uh, I would accept it wholeheartedly. Um, the opinion, I would accept it. Yeah. You would, you would, Ron, you would accept it? If they say it in love, right? Yes. Right. And not being critical. Yes. Amen. Well, then let me ask another question. Do you think we as Christians are responsible to each other to make each other accountable if we're doing something wrong? As believers, do you think that we should be accountable one to another um, and address or correct certain things that we may be doing wrong or someone else may be doing wrong? Do you think there should be accountability or should we just let every man do what's right in his own eyes? I very seldom have seen any of that kind of, uh, you know, reaction or communication between Christians I, where one is telling another. You should not. Yeah. Yeah, it's wrong. So, um, correction, correction in the church, most of the time is left up to the pastor to do all the correcting. And that is his responsibility when he's preaching the word he should rebuke and correct, you know, with all long suffering and patience. But do you think it's also the responsibility of, of fellow believers uh, if they have relationship with one another to lovingly correct each other? Do you think that is a responsibility of fellow Christians? I, I kind of, I, I would say yes, because if we're Christians and we're studying the Bible mm -hmm. and um, you're in fellowship with them, you know, people are not perfect. That's and, right. You know, if they see them slipping away or going into the direction where they know they shouldn't go, mm -hmm. um, I think as a Christian, one to another, we should approach and, and just say, you know, tap them on the shoulder. You know, I know this, whatever, but we know better because of what God's law, God's word says. Now, I well, like I what can you give you an example. Okay. Um, I, I know that in the church that we've been involved with for, in the past, that there was a, a, a young woman in there that, you know, had a drinking problem. I have mm. not, I don't know if anybody confronted her about it, but I definitely know that people talked about it, mm. you know. They talked about like, it, yeah. They talked about it to themselves, to each other. I know that for a fact, but I don't know if anybody actually, you know, confronted her and helped her along. I didn't, I, I never witnessed that. Um, now, I can remember growing up in the church, and we had the mothers of the church. We had a motherboard, and we had the mothers of the church. And um, I'm back in the day now. This is the 60s and 70s, you know? <laughs> maybe yeah. the 80s. But those old mothers, you know, those holy mothers who loved the Lord, if you came Sunday morning and they looked at you, <laughs> you know, they would bring correction. You know, they would say it in a loving way as a loving spiritual mother, and I know in the church that I didn't, they would put you in check. I don't know mm. if that still happens today in churches. I don't know. Yeah. That I don't know. As much as Amen. <laughs> so confronting others can be very risky, uh, but the Bible talks about um, 
in the book of Galatians chapter 6 that if anyone is taken in a fault, those who are spiritual should confront them in a spirit of love and meekness that they might be restored. So, um, yeah, that's Galatians chapter 6 around the first verse. So it's important to have spiritual maturity if you're going to confront someone so that you do it in the spirit of meekness and gentleness um, in the spirit of love tactful not being critical so that they can come to the knowledge of what they're doing wrong so that they can repent of it and uh, be made whole and be restored um, so that's why this is very very important now Paul is writing this to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in the church at Corinth, there were all kinds of sinful practices being participated in that congregation. To name just a few, there were those who were committing fornication, there were those who were, just, was, were extorting one another, taking each other to court, suing, lawsuits suing one another, uh, envy, division, and strife, incest, and the list goes on and on. And no church is perfect. I haven't found one, and if you join it, you'll mess the whole thing up because you're not perfect. So there's no perfect church. But it broke mm. Paul's heart to have to write these two letters to the church Corinth. It broke his heart because these were his spiritual children that he had won to Christ. And in much prayer and much travail, he penned these particular chapters, these two books, to give to the children here at the church, the spiritual children here at the church of Corinth. And he told them the truth about what he had saw and what he had heard. And then he lovingly challenged and rebuked them to also confront one another and not tolerate sinful practices in the church. He encouraged them to do that, but they were negligent and they were indifferent. And they allowed these things to fester. And he talked about a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. The Bible, when it says leaven, is referring to sin. So any sin affects the whole body, just like a cancer in the human body, no matter how small it is, eventually will infect and affect and destroy the whole physical body. So we do have a responsibility to one another in love, to warn others, and to let others know what's right and wrong. And it begins in parenting. It begins with the parent and the child. It's important for parents to train children in the way that they should go so when they're old, they will not depart from the truth or hopefully return to the truth. So I thank God for a mother and a father and I thank God for parents, you and others, who have taught their children the difference between right and wrong according to the Bible. 
and even specifically tell them the sins that will cause them to lose their eternal soul. So it begins in the home. It begins in the home. Any questions? Um, no. Okay, let's look at Revelations 21 and 8. That's the last book of the Bible, Revelations 21 and 8. And uh, John the Beloved Apostle in Revelations 21 8 gives us a whole list specifically of individuals who may think they're going to heaven but are not. And I'm going to read this one from the Living Translation of the Bible. Many of you are reading from different translations, but I'll be reading from the Amplified Translation of the Bible. Revelations 21 and 8. And the scripture says, The fearful, cowards, unbelieving, abominable, abominable are those who are devoid of character and personal integrity and practice or tolerates immorality. He lists murderers, sorcerers, those who practice black magic, <clears throat> sorcery, that word sorcery in the Greek is called pharmakia, and that means intoxicating with drugs. So there are some practices of idol worship that uses intoxicating drugs to put peoples into a frenzy or a trance. The Bible calls that sorcery. And sorcery is a form of witchcraft, black magic, horoscopes. How many believers you know read their horoscope every morning? Yeah. It's like they won't even step out the house without reading it. <laughs> yep. And I don't know how many Christians will say, well, what is your um, horoscope sign? Zodiac yep. sign. Okay, you're born in June, you're a cancer. Or whatever. And they really believe that. But practicing horoscopes will cause you to lose your soul. But Many people think that's innocent. How about palm readers and fortune tellers? The Bible calls that necromancing. And what that's, that's a big word, necromancing. It just means practicing and communicating with the dead, especially those who predict the future. So um, there's a lot of... Yeah, go ahead, Dorothy. Um, you know, sometimes um, you have the dream book that people would go and look up your dreams. Now, now let's, let, know, Dorothy, explain to mm -hmm. us what that means because can you buy them today, dream books? Are they still for sale today? Because I, I, I know so. when I was a small boy in my community, those who played numbers mm -hmm. purchased dream books. Yeah. Whenever they had a dream about something, they looked it up in the dream book and got a number. And when the number man came around in the 60s, they would play the number. And my, uh, <laughs> go ahead, yeah, Dorothy. My reason, my reason for bringing that up is that there are times when I believe 
that the Holy Spirit um, brings things to me in in a dream. Mm. And I don't really go and search to see what it is, but um, when it when it happened, the, the few times that it, that it did, like days later, whatever it was, you know, came. It, it, there was a re- revelation, um, and I would often pray about it and ask God. You know, I'd wake up and I'd say, God, why am I dreaming this? What is it that's to come? So you instead know, of you looking in the dream book to get understanding, you would pray to God for understanding. Right. Of and, the dream. And, and, right. To just keep me because um, for whatever reason, I just felt that was God's, you know, um, like a messenger. Okay. Like, His way of communicating. Yeah. Another you. way of communicating. Another way of communicating. So are you saying mm-hmm. it's okay to, to look at the dream book? to get understanding about your dreams? Are you no. saying that's okay? Because you I mentioned just, a dream book. Well, I know that people do go, I mean, oh. I've done it before, but I don't do it now that I know, that I know, you know what I mean? Oh, but um, one time say, you didn't know. Right, and I, I would say, well, well, what does it mean to, you know, like say water or fish? You know, right. A lot of times you dream about a fish or a snake, you know, um, someone's pregnant in a family or something like that right i remember the 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 ladies used to say that i had a dream Mm -hmm. about fish so somebody Mm -hmm. must be pregnant right and um i i remember distinctly when my uncle passed um there was a lot of things that he was trying to get straightened out in his life to move back to jersey and i i had a dream i dreamt that we were in this big house and um there was a fire and he was in the basement and um when I turned back, I remember he, he wasn't with us. And I went back and he said, no, leave me, leave me. I'll be okay, I'll be okay. Mm. And like the next week, we got a call that he passed. And um, mm. that, that kind of like, yeah, yeah. So things like that. And I woke up, I'm like, what does that dream mean, you know? And I said, God, whatever it is, just keep us because I just couldn't understand that. It's not a dream book, though. Yeah, but I didn't go. I didn't go looking it up in the book. <laughs> you didn't go to the <laughs> dream book. <laughs> yeah. You know, and when it happened, I said, "Oh God, this is probably what you were preparing me for," because I had a lot of responsibility now to put things together to get his body back for burial, and then finally, my brother and I moved his belongings from you know shut everything down in California. So that yes. was a big to do. Oh, I can but, just um, imagine. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God deals with people with dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, and people have had dreams in Old Testament and New Testament. So God does deal with us in dreams and sometimes in visions or trance or other different ways of communicating with us. But we don't need to go to a dream book to mm-hmm. find out yeah. what God is trying to say to us when we can just pray and ask him and he'll reveal to us the interpretation of whatever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Alrighty, so in my list, the Bible's list in Revelation 21.8, it talks about sorcerers and those who practice black magic, witchcraft. Witchcraft just simply means to control others. So there are all different forms of witchcraft today. 
even in the church, where people are trying to manipulate and control other people's lives. I remember attending one church where the pastor from the pulpit would look in the congregation at different individuals out there and would say, you are to marry so-and-so, and so-and-so are to marry so-and-so. And I'm like, whoa. So people would come to the church to find out who they're going to marry. Wow. And I guess mm -hmm. the pastor was prophesizing. But um, from all of those couples that I knew that did get married like that, mm -hmm. those marriages never last. They all ended up separating or divorced. So there's a lot of witchcraft still going on in the church today. Controlling people's lives, manipulating people, deceiving people. And so those who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Also, uh, when it talks about um, here in 21.8, it talks about the occult. And what are the occults? Those who practice and teach false religions. So I've heard people say, well, you know, it doesn't matter what religion you practice because we're all going to heaven. No, Jesus says no. There's only one way to heaven. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the mm -hmm. truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So there's only one way to heaven. Not many different paths to heaven or different religions to heaven. It's only one. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Mm-hmm. 21.8 says, all liars. And a liar here is those who knowingly deceive and twist the truth. That's the definition of a liar in the Bible. Those who knowingly and deceive and twist the truth. So we hear a lot of lying going on in politics today, a lot of lying going on in religion, a lot of lying. And those who practice a lie are going to find their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Any questions about any of these specific sins that the Bible categorizes so that people will know that they know without a shadow of a doubt that what they are practicing is wrong? Now, do you think it's the responsibility of the pastor of a local church to let his congregation know that these are the sins that will send a soul to hell? Do you think that's the responsibility of a pastor? Yeah. It should be, but the, you don't you don't ever hear it's never it's never taught or, mm -hmm. or spoken. Because I mean he's supposed to be delivering God's word and he's got he has the Bible there and it's very clear clearly written what the um you know um what will bring damnation to your soul and take you right to hell it's right here but they don't they don't preach it now i wouldn't wish hell on my worst enemy mm -hmm. i wouldn't want anyone to miss heaven and bust hell I, I wouldn't want that for my worst enemy but there is a risk in warning people of these particular practices because we live in a society today in a democracy, in a democracy where everybody who's a member of a democracy, whether it's the United States or any other country, that every citizen has civil rights. 
a right to liberty, freedom, just the pursuit of happiness. All members of a democracy have civil rights to marry who they want to marry, to live where they want to live, to practice any kind of religion they want to practice. We live in a democracy. And in most democracies, when it comes to lawlessness or different practices of sins, they have legalized them in those democracies. So now it becomes legal to practice these sins. Fortune telling, witchcrafts, even witches now can get incorporated and get a 501c3. So all of these things that we mentioned, many of them who practice these things in their democracy are practicing them legally in their democracy. So even the horoscope reader or the palm reader that has their own office and, you know, office space, they're legal. They pay taxes. But the question is, does that make it right? No. Mm-hmm. No. So even though it's legal, does that make it right? No. Then again, the, those are things of the world, you know, and God warns us about those things. So, yeah. I mean. So we're living in perilous times. Right. And uh, Paul said to the church, he was speaking to Timothy, his son in the ministry, he says, in the last days, it will be difficult to live the Christian life. Now let me clarify that. Mm. It's not difficult to live holy. It's not difficult to be a Christian because God empowers us by his word and his spirit and equips us with the capacity to live a holy separate life unto him. He gives us grace to do that. But when Paul talked about the perilous times and it's difficult in those last days to be a Christian, he's talking about the presence of sin all around us and the democracies in which we live in, where they have made laws to shape, to sanction, and to support unrighteousness unrighteous practices. So you go back to the 40s and the 50s, you couldn't, you couldn't shop on Sunday. There was no temptation to run out and shop on Sunday. Most people had to be in church. The churches were open. So for those in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, they didn't have the same temptations. They had temptations, but some of the temptations that we have today, they didn't have them. But today, almost anything goes. And a lot of these practices have crept into the church. And so now, churches are just like the world. Amen, somebody. So if I I attend a church service, I want to know I've been in church. Not in a club. Not in a disco. I want to know that I've been in church. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these practices 
because they are legal in our society, have crept into the church. And they don't belong in the church. So now the question is, do we excommunicate all these people that are practicing these things in the church? Should we kick them all out? What should we do? Number one, we should, I don't know. You can't. <laughs> Ron said that would be impossible because you look right. up Sunday morning and guess what? You Did might have one or two in the church. Pastor might be gone too. I, I would right. say, um, Ron said the pastor might be gone too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I wouldn't say kick them out because you never know at what point they'll get it. Like the light bulb will click on. You know what I'm doing Amen. is wrong when they Amen. hear that word being preached. So are you saying you want them to come to church? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I would want them to come to church if they're going to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. You understand? Right. Then it's, we want them to come to church because the church is where they should come to really get truly saved and born again. The church should be a place where they can come to find out what they're doing is wrong and what they're doing is right. So we want them to come to the church. So when you read the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the disciples were critical of other people. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let the wheat and the tares grow together in the church. And God will do the separating at the end of the age. So Jesus said, let the wheat and the tares grow together. And he will do the separating. Mm. He said, because if you pick up, pick out the tares, you may by mistake pick and pluck out the wheat. So that simply is saying to us is that we're not kicking people out of the church. We're not kicking people out of the church. We're not excommunicating these people out of the church. But if they continue to practice these sins and they are infesting others in the church, then not only must they be warned in love, but they must also come into church discipline and be corrected so that they would be embarrassed and ashamed of what they are practicing. So they would repent and come back and write proper fellowship with God in his church. Any questions? And, well, I was going to say, you know, even when that happens, as true Christians, you embrace, you know, and, and still do your best to share the word with whoever, you know, to, 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 to show that love and to make sure that they're spiritually fed. Amen. So, so go ahead, Dorothy, I'm listening. I said so that they don't go back to their old practices or old ways. Right. So that's why it's important for us to study the Bible to understand uh, what the Bible says and how to deal with those who practice these kinds of things in the church and how do we lovingly deal with them. And so I was looking over in uh, First, Second, and Third John, and uh, the beloved John said, "If you know a brother or a sister." who are practicing any of these things that you should not eat with them or even bid them Godspeed. 
So I see that in Second uh, John, there's only one chapter, verse 11. I'm in the book of uh, first, second, and third John. Let's see here. Second John, I'm second. Hmm. Okay. So the scripture that I just quoted to you was um, in Second uh, John, chapter one. It's only one chapter in the eleventh verse. Hmm. So John also says that we should not even go out to lunch with them if they're fornicators. And you would say, well, whoa, what do you mean I can't go out to lunch with them? I can't eat with them. Oh, what do you mean? Well, if they're practicing that sin and you make them feel comfortable and you're going to the same church and everybody's going out to lunch, then you have to go out to lunch and eat with them. Now you're exactly. violating the scripture. Because instead of making them feel uncomfortable in your presence for practicing that sin, you make them feel justified by supporting them and going out to lunch. Alrighty, any questions? Okay, we're going to close on this example. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, Paul teaches us concerning church discipline. And we don't see too much church discipline today that's done according to the Bible. We see discipline, but oftentimes it doesn't lead to restoration. What do we mean by restoration? We're talking about a person who's caught in a fault or a sin, who is confronted by the pastor or the leadership of the church. That person repents turns away from their sin, repents, comes back to God, and proper fellowship with God in the church, then that person should be restored back to membership and all the rights and privileges that come with that. But oftentimes, that last step is not practice. They're either kicked out or ignored or left to themselves. And sometimes those people are overwhelmed. So in chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 1, if you're there with me, uh, yeah, just say yeah. amen. It says, it is reported that there is fornication among you, and such fornication, all sexual immorality, is not so much named among the Gentiles. So there was a person in the Corinthian church practicing fornication that even the Gentiles wasn't practicing. The Gentiles were the unbelievers, those who are not saved. And this is what this individual in the church, as a member of the church, was practicing. That one should have his father's wife. So here was a man who was cohabiting, cohabiting, shacking, cohabiting, with his father's wife. And the Bible calls that fornication. Mm. And uh, in verse 2, Paul said, speaking to the church members, he said that you are puffed up and arrogant and have not rather mourned 
You should have been grieving over this egregious sin. You should be grieving and mourning over it. That this man has done this deed. That he might be taken away from you. That's church. Excommunication. Mm -hmm. For I verily, Paul speaking, for I verily as absent in body, he wasn't there present physically, but Paul is saying, I'm there in spirit. He said, I have just already, though I were present, concerning that individual that had done or practiced this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, speaking at the church, at the church meeting, Paul said, and my spirit will be with you, and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in verse 5. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the Apostle Paul is saying that this individual who refuses to stop practicing what he was doing cohabiting with his father's wife, committing fornication. He was warned. He refused to stop. And so Paul says that he should be excommunicated. What does that mean? That means that he is no longer eligible to take communion, to receive the benefits of the church. He's excommunicated. He's no longer under the protection of the umbrella of the church, receiving the prayers and the protection and communion, he is no longer eligible for that because of what he is doing, practicing sin. And so Paul uses a powerful statement. He said, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now that's pretty heavy. So... Uh... So, so that's the extreme church yeah. discipline. And the destruction of the flesh simply means to turn someone over to Satan. Now they're in the dominion, the realm of Satan, and now Satan has free, he has free course, free opportunity to afflict that individual, to destroy his flesh, by way of maybe something similar to what happened to Job in the Old Testament. But remember, Satan had to get God's permission to afflict Job. And Job was a righteous man. He was being tested. So his afflictions were not because of sin. But in this case, this man's affliction, the destruction of the flesh, is because of him practicing this particular sin in the church. Any questions? So, um, they turn him over to Satan and he's sort of, his, whatever he's doing, um, he's being punished for it. He's suffering now. Right. So at that point of suffering, um, would you say then that's when he cries out to God and asks Oh, that's the whole purpose of it. Right. Amen. Yeah. That he would cry out to God. 
and ask for forgiveness. Why am I being afflicted? Why am I sick? Why am I having all these problems? That's the motive and the purpose, beloved. So let's go over to 2 Corinthians. We're going to close on this. We've got a few more minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And see the other half of the story. What happens to this individual? What happens to this man that's practicing fornication? Okay. Amen. And I would like, I would, I would not want to see anyone being turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Has that happened in churches over the years? I've seen it. And it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. Alrighty, chapter 2, verse 5. Paul is speaking now. He says, If any have caused grief, he have not grieved me, but in part, that I might not overcharge you all, or overcharge you too severely. Paul speaking to the church Corinthians concerning this man that was practicing fornication, incest with his father's wife. Verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment. This was the man that the church turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Verse 7, so that contrarywise, you ought either to forgive this man and to comfort this man, lest perhaps such a one or this man should be swallowed up with over much grief and sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you, I implore you, that you would confirm your love toward him. For this for to this end also did I write and testify that I might know the proof of you, whether you, church, would be obedient in all things. To whom we forgive anything, I forgive also. So Paul is saying, I forgive this man. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sakes, Forgive it in the person of Christ. So Paul says, now he's suffered enough. He's grieving. He's mourning over his transgressions, his sins. Paul says, enough is enough. I've forgiven him. So now it's time for you, church, to also forgive him in the person of Christ. And Paul says, the reason why this is so important in verse 11, lest Satan should get the advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of the devil's devices or designs or strategies. So Satan desired to destroy this man with sorrow and grief. He might have been suicidal. Satan wanted to kill, still, and destroy this man. That was his purpose. But Paul says we're not ignorant concerning the devil's schemes, maneuvers, devices, operations, methodologies. We're not ignorant to how Satan operates. 
who wants to come steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we don't want this man, after he has repented, to be overcome with unbearable sorrow for the sins that he committed in his past life that are already done and forgiven. We want this man to be welcomed back among the fellowship of believers back in the church restored and right standing. That's the goal. So the question is today in our closing, oftentimes people are disciplined in churches or kicked out as communicated, but how many of them are given the opportunity to repent and be restored? Questions? Um... Uh, not not too many churches do that. Well, you know, um, would say openly forgive and welcome back and and work restoring the person. You know, um, it, it's more or less everybody's turning their backs. Yeah, turn their backs. We don't want to be associated with you. Right. We don't want to be bothered with you. You know, you know. Look how you hurt the church. Look at. You're, we don't want to be associated with you. But if the truth be told, every one of us who are believers are not perfect. We're holy, but we're human. Right. We're not perfect. We're righteous, but we still sometimes fall or even sometimes practice unrighteousness. So everybody, everybody in the church from one time or another, from the pastor on down, needs to be restored. My last verse will be in Galatians chapter 6, and we'll close on this in prayer. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. The local church should be a place where people who fall short of the glory of God can come and find help and healing and forgiveness and restoration and be restored in proper relationship with God. Paul speaking to the church of Galatia, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, brethren, speaking to Christians, if any man or woman be overtaken in a fault, and we talked about what faults are, you which are spiritual, that means the mature members of the body of Christ, and if you're a leader in the church, if you're a pastor, an elder, or a deacon, or in leadership, you should be spiritually mature and not a babe in Christ. The responsibility of the spiritual mature in the church, number one, to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness and humility. And this is very, very important because Paul says, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. So what Paul is saying that all of us have feet that are made of clay, that all of us are susceptible to temptation, that any of us at any time can slip and fall into sin if it's not but for the grace of God. Go you and go I. So none of us should be arrogant or prideful or self-righteous or indifferent when another believer falls in sin, we should rush in 
with love and forgiveness, godly discipline, pouring the oil and the wine, bring them to health, give them the necessary counseling they need and support so that they can be healed and restored back in proper relationship with God and his church and then be on their way to heaven. The church should be a hospital for those who are sin sick and need healing, not just a place to come to be entertained or to promote mm -hmm. your business or to win a political office or to put it on your resume. It should be a hospital. It should be a place where we can come to get the help that we need. And so, beloved, I pray those who are listening today are in a good, healthy local church that they can come to that place of worship and be fed spiritually and receive the necessary help that they need to become better Christians. Any comments or anything you want to say before we close? This is an opportunity for application for what we've heard to apply it in our lives. God bless. No, it's good. God bless. Well, our time has slipped away. Let's close in prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your tender, loving care. God, we lift up those in our listening audience today who stand in need of our prayers, especially those who are going through trying and difficult times. We thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. You say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart and you can find rest and peace for your soul. Father, we pray for a spirit of peace and comfort to the body of Christ today, to those who stand in need of our prayers. We pray for those who have loved ones who are in the hospital sick and those who are homesick and suffering. We pray for healing today. We pray for deliverance today. We pray that you would encourage hearts, individual souls everywhere, and draw us all closer to you and to each other. Continue to bless us to be a blessing today. And we thank you for this Bible study and all those who partook, received and listened. Bless us this day and keep us, Lord, in perfect peace with our minds stayed on you until we all come to back together again. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you all. May his peace and Amen. his mercy and grace be with us all until we meet again. Go with God and he'll go with you. God bless you. Amen. God bless you, brother.